Now, I can't legitimately claim that this is the first time I've done this, but it's certainly the first time I've done this in a while. And it's the second time now that I've done it with the, uh, the clicker thing and having to wear glasses to be able to read my script. So please bear with me. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous, so I would appreciate if you guys would pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for a beautiful day. We thank you for a new year. We pray that as we uh, seek to understand the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, that we might indeed remember the things that are from you and from your word and forget about stuff that's distracting us, even if there's things I say that distract us. But we pray that we might uh, fully commit ourselves to understanding what you've done for us in Jesus and how the Holy Spirit works to remind us of that. We pray this in his name. Amen. As uh, Trev said, we, um, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We say that most weeks, right? We talk about his work constantly and hope we understand his purpose. In the rest of 1 Corinthians... We, uh, we're going to see that it is actually really important not to stuff up that understanding and get off track. Why is the Holy Spirit so tough to nail down, to package up, to reduce to a pithy kind of catchphrase? And what is unique about his person and work? It's certainly to do with his presence, his comfort, his activation. But is there something else I'm afraid to acknowledge? Um, you younger ones will laugh at me, but do you guys know what this little bit here does on your phone? Yeah? Turned off, it really doesn't give you uh, much of an idea what it's all about. And I think some of you will remember the first time you, somebody showed you what it does. Well, you do this and see the light comes on. How stoked were you the first time you figured that out? Yeah, don't roll your eyes at me. <laughs> we don't all uh, come born with these, no, the knowledge of these things. But it's funny, when it's turned on, it's also a little bit hard to, to see, isn't it? You can't look at the little cell that does it. It's tricky to understand that little light bit in isolation from what it does. But when it's actually doing its purpose, focusing a light on something or someone, usually for me it's when I've dropped something and I can't find it, it's also sort of hard to look at, isn't it? You kind of wish that I'd stop flashing at you. Oh, good. Okay. I think this is a lot like the Holy Spirit. We struggle to understand him because if you turn off his purpose, you can't really see what he's about. But when he's working his purpose amongst us, shining his light on Jesus, it's hard to see, it's hard to, to focus on our attention without falling into some kind of error or other. I was talking with um, a couple of guys over morning tea about how, like, 
when we grew up, there was all these sort of metaphors for the way the three persons of the Trinity work, but how all of them are a little bit dodgy. They never quite sum it up, and I think that's true of the Holy Spirit. But we do believe in the Holy Spirit. The Nicene Creed, you know, the real long one that we say sometimes, has a bit more to say. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. So he's the Lord. He gives life. He proceeds from. He kind of comes from the other persons of God and is to be worshipped and given honour with them. And he spoke through the prophets. There's always that connection, isn't there, with the prophets? That's all useful stuff, but it's, you know, we, we want to actually dig in tonight as to what the Bible says. After all, the creeds are just sort of different types of maps of the biblical landscape. They aren't the land itself. The Bible has lots to say, but I think it's useful if we start with Jesus. In John 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And it's in the last 24 hours before his crucifixion. But let's be clear what he's saying. Uh, J.I. Packer has some useful stuff to say. He says, before Jesus' death and resurrection, he promised that the Father and he would send his disciples another counsellor. The counsellor or, or paraclete from the Greek word parakletos, is there any chance that I'm getting close to the right pronunciation of that? Uh, it means one who gives support. It's a helper, an advisor, a strengthener, an encourager, an ally, an advocate. And another points to the fact that Jesus was the first paraclete and is promising a replacement who, after he's gone, will carry on the teaching and testimony that he started. And this is something that Jesus goes on to explain later in his, uh, that, that long passage in, in, in John. So it's important that we understand that paraclete ministry is by very nature uh, personal. It's relational ministry, implying the full personhood of the one who fulfills it. It's a bit hard to explain. Like um, a person delivers the post, and there is a postman or a post postal worker. Right? A postal worker is the full identity of that that person in that moment. Right? Whereas if you you might pick up the mail from your next door neighbour, it doesn't make you a post person, does it? The full identity of the person. And so we, uh, we realise that the Holy Spirit gives illumination, spiritual understanding and spiritual gifts. He equips the believer for serving. And so we move on uh, and have a look at this passage in John 14. Jesus says, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. He will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognise him. 
But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be with you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Anyone who does not obey, does not love me, will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own, for I'm only telling you what the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things while I am now, while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of what I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. It's sort of a bit of a bit of a job list that we get here in this passage, isn't it? It's an advocate, the Holy Spirit, counselor who follows uh, Jesus' physical absence and is with the disciples. In verse 16, he's going to parent and nourish Jesus' disciples. In verse 18, he's going to teach and remind the disciples of what Jesus said and did. But it's a bit more than a job list, isn't it? It's actually a pretty profound insight into the intimate interconnection between the personalities of the Trinity. And the focus shifts from Jesus to the Holy Spirit of truth, to the Father, and then back to Jesus. Much as light reflects and refracts inside a brilliant diamond, with God's persons, as we understand the Father or the Son, we pass through an understanding of the Holy Spirit. So when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we are acknowledging the profound connection that the Holy Spirit has to Jesus and the Father. But is that understanding kind of a, you know, is it really necessary? Or is his work in us just a sort of optional extra for people who go to certain types of churches? Definitely not. Romans 8 describes this for us very clearly. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting the sinful nature control your mind leads to death. 
But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can't please, they can never please God. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call to him, Abba, Father, Daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we're also his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. Do you see what I mean about <laughs> Whenever we start talking about the Holy Spirit, we end up talking about Jesus. And when we talk about Jesus, we end up talking about God the Father and his work in us. See how it moves in that way? It's great richness and, and, uh, and, and, and reassurance here in, in, uh, in Romans 8. In verse 2, the Spirit is the one who sets us free. He governs our minds. I don't like the way the NLT uses the word controls. There's different versions of it. That's the one we use most of the time at church. That's the one I use. But there's different words for that idea. That I like the way the, the um, NIV uses the word governs. Up to you, I guess. Governs our minds for life and peace in verse 6. The Spirit is proof of Christ's life in us in 10 and 11. And the Spirit allows us complete access to God as adopted kids heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ in verses 14 to 17. Not only can we go right up to God, but we can go all over his property, which is the whole world, knowing that we are heirs to that fortune. But most importantly, we're told if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. So it can't be an optional extra to have the spirit, can it? So it's important that we believe in the Holy Spirit and we don't ignore the Holy Spirit. But we're going to learn in, uh, in 1 Corinthians as we kick on during the year that misunderstanding the, whole, the Holy Spirit or rather mistaking him or what he does for the sort of spiritual world does get us into a bit of a muddle sometimes. And I think, you know, we live in a time where the big blockbuster movies are all about... So, uh, Georgie and, and Gabriella were watching one of the... Grind, am I, I'm going to make a horrible mess of this. The Grindelwald, Crimes of Grindelwald. Am I saying that right? You know, Harry Potter thing. You know, There's all this sort of spirit world stuff that, that pervades our, our culture at the moment. But we can't mistake the work of the Holy Spirit for that, for that fantasy. We need to see the Holy Spirit is at work... We need to understand that spirit work. And we need to glorify God the Father and the Son in appreciation for that work as we see it. This is not a great example, but it does involve a great man. I have known Johnny Meon for 18 years. Or rather, 
I've known his outside of work, Johnny, for 18 years. In fact, we used to um, drive to work in Nowran together and we'd, you know, we'd discuss our day and listen to music and shout at the talkback radio. It was heaps of fun. But to be honest, I have no idea what he actually does for work. He's a building inspector, sort of fire inspector, manager type person. <laughs> Talina, I'm getting by Talina's giggle that I'm getting further from the... What does that, what does that mean? What does he actually do? Well, about eight years ago, I, wanted, I was working on this business idea and I wanted to rent a particular building for a particular purpose. And the owner insisted that I check in with council to see if what I was doing was okay. Now, 10 minutes later, I'm on the phone to Johnny, right? Asking him about it. Over the next uh, week or so, he took me through the process of looking at the legislation, the building codes, the, the council processes, the whole thing. And, and with uh, Karen's help, we sorted it out. I was, I was really grateful. My point is this. I'd known Johnny for 10 years before I saw his work and understood it. Well, I understood some of it, obviously not very much. But I saw his work because I could see it in my own experience in what I was doing. And I certainly appreciated it. I think that's a little bit like how the Holy Spirit works. He's the doer of godliness in us, God's presence, God's comfort. And he's the sort of activator of our faith. But we don't often see, understand, and appreciate his work in isolation. In some ways, that's okay, you know. Um, he's focused on Jesus. So we can attribute to the person of Jesus the work of the Holy Spirit. But I wonder if this misattribution leads us sometimes to some funny ideas or, or even errors and uh, getting off track. I believe in the Holy Spirit and I want to give him glory for what he does. So perhaps the best way to properly understand the Holy Spirit is to understand his work role, what he does. Luckily, this is the approach that J.R. Packer takes in his book about the Apostles' Creed. He says the, the Holy Spirit is present in creation, both God's original creation in Genesis 1 and in human creation. So in, in Exodus 31 where, you know, it talks about us being knit together. Sorry, I think it's Jeremiah. But um, 31 where it talks about us being knit together in, in our mum's tummy. So the Holy Spirit inspires God's spoke people throughout the whole Old Testament, in particular the prophets. And the Holy Spirit is equipping and enabling godly actions in his people right up till today. See, the Holy Spirit is at work through Jesus' life. So we get to this particular place where God is with us physically in the person of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is at work. We're told in uh, you know, Matthew 1 that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, when he starts his ministry, Jesus is affirmed as being spirit-filled at his baptism and temptation in Luke 4. And the spirit takes up 
Jesus' advocacy encourager role after Jesus' resurrection, as we're told in John 16 and verse 13, when, the, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So John's got this idea of how the Holy Spirit works in Jesus' life. But then in 1 John, he goes a bit further. You know, In his letters, he goes further and he says, we do actually get as close as we're going to get to some pithy summary verses about this continuing spirit work. Now focus more clearly on we, the, the risen Jesus and what Jesus does in living and saving us. So in uh, verse, chapter 2, verse 27 of 1 John, the Holy Spirit is the anointing that teaches us Christ. In 4 verse 2, the Holy Spirit is behind all the spirits that acknowledge the risen Christ, but is not behind those who deny him. And in 5, 7, the Spirit truthfully testifies or witnesses to Christ. So we believe in the Holy Spirit, and so we should acknowledge his witness to God's plans. So paraclete ministry is personal and relational ministry. The Holy Spirit gives us illumination, spiritual understanding, and spiritual gifts. He equips the believer for serving. The Holy Spirit is Christ-like that works in us to live, teach, and witness to what Jesus has achieved. He reflects Christ in us out into the world. And so I think it is really useful that we acknowledge the unique person and work of the Holy Spirit, that we, we listen to him. We lean into his illumination and we use his spiritual gifts. And with that in mind, I, I, I want to finish tonight the, the talk by looking at Psalm 51. I think it might be the best expression in the Old Testament record of the Holy Spirit's work. But it also expresses how every follower since Jesus must come before the Lord, come before God. I asked at the beginning of the talk, you know, is there something that we're afraid to acknowledge about the Holy Spirit? I think in, in Psalm 51, David speaks most clearly into that that fear, our fear of acknowledging our utter dependence on the Holy Spirit to change who we are as people. It may be that we're afraid he will change us, change us into a person we won't recognise. It might be that we're afraid he won't change us. Or that we're afraid of our utter helplessness before him. 
Whatever our fears are, at some point we must acknowledge the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I think that's what, I think that's what David's trying to get at here. If this is your prayer, my invitation is that you sort of listen to what I'm saying, you know, and in your heart affirm that. And if at the end you want to say amen, that'd be great. So let's pray. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that I may, my, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire sacrifice or would offer one. You do not want burnt offerings. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Amen. Thanks. We're going to sing again. I think I've got a... I know. Trevor's going to help us out. <laughs>